Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You You are back in the house of mystery, and we're back this week. And I know you're excited. I'm. I'm. I'm not. But uh, we got. <laughs> and yeah, see, that's the laugh of Mr. David Rose Martino. I'm back as Rose. Rose. Well, it's soft. Rose. It's, it's a soft beginning, right? Yes. Rose. That's right. You, you get vicious later in the week. No, no more serial killer name for. For the beginning of the year. Yeah, three named serial killers. Well, you will be a good serial killer. You you got away with it this long. I know. No one's found anything. No one's found anything. (laughs) Nothing. Boy, I'll tell you. Boy, all the celebrities dying this this last day. I know. It's crazy. crazy. I'm not going to turn on the TV anymore. (laughs) I know. It's insanity. Yeah, it's just kind of how it goes. Everyone's turn. Well, anyway, so let's get right to the guest here because... uh, this is this is an important guest. Guest, he's from Seattle, just oh. like me. Um, so we've, <laughs> that's important. Um, Mr. Uh, Glenn Eric Hamilton, thank you for being here. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> hello, hello. He doesn't know us yet, um, <laughs> gentlemen. Well, well I figured I figured David brought me in to balance the three names, thing, right? Well, so, yeah. Because yeah. well, three names is right. pretty keen there, I'll tell yep. you, you know. <laughs> and, you know, Seattle hasn't had a good good serial killer in a while, right? It's the Green River. It's been a long time, so it's time. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Seattle, um, you're a trader. You moved away. How come? I did. I did move away. Um, in the mid-aughts, 
Um, I had, you know, I'd, I'd grown up in Seattle. I'd lived in the area my whole life. Um, I'd owned a home and all that. And we had a couple of, of seismic changes happen. One was the corporation I was working for got sold to another corporation. And it became uh, a very good time financially and otherwise to to make a change. I wasn't sure if I wanted to work for the new uh, the new overlords um, and had it been with the company for quite a while and was ready for a change anyway. Um, and my wife and I met doing theater locally and she was working as a professional actress. And we thought, well, what if we moved to California for a while and tried this out? You know, it's a good time for that. And I think it just, you know, in terms of a sea change, it just felt right. And so we um, up and you know loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly, uh, or, or actually more over the hills from that. And in, 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 as, as Bill Murray puts it in Ghostbusters 2, California's beautiful San Fernando Valley. And so we were we lived in Burbank for about 16 years um, and really enjoyed it. Um, we uh, had a child there. Um, and still, and still have the child. Yeah, we didn't leave her there. I was going to say. Um, we, uh, and, and I started, uh, a writing career because everybody in LA is an actor. Being an actor down there didn't sound like any fun. Um, and it was something I was just doing for fun. So I started writing and discovered I really enjoyed the work of it. And so I went to the library. I had a chance to take a little time off work before getting another job. I went to the library every day. Uh, wrote for a while, discovered, yep, it's really hard to do, and yep, I really enjoy it, so maybe I should learn how to do this. And so I started taking classes and seminars um, through UCLA Extension and the Writer's Studio there, uh, joined writing groups, took writing classes for a long time, and gradually refined my knowledge of how to write, um, and then was uh, eventually had kind of a dream situation of, getting published but i don't have to go into that right now but that's that's what led us to california and then what brought us back really was um was uh both being ready for another change um with our daughter in middle school looking towards high school and um then and then all the changes with covid um with covid i just started i started reading the seattle news a lot more closely than i had been because of course seattle was the the first place in the us that covid really hit hard right it was yeah. the first place where we saw the refrigerated trucks for the bodies you know um and because i was writing about a seattle character a seattle based character it seemed I, I i was feeling that draw towards my hometown a lot, um, and it took a while to come together. But uh, middle of last year, we um, we packed up a different truck uh, and moved uh, and moved back to Seattle, and we're now living in the in the heart of the city. Wow! Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, I, did you find it? But you so you weren't like a writer to begin with, and you've been doing this all your life. It sort of happened when you had another career already. Which yeah. I, always, I find that interesting because um, I think that takes even more guts because if you're writing right out of high school and then you start writing for papers and magazines and college and then you get into doing some short stories and a book and all that, it's kind of a more natural transition. But you're already set in life, so to speak. You're kind of, you know, working and living and house and the whole, you know, you get in the family and doing all this. And all of a sudden you go, well, I want to write. 
I'm going to write. And and you know it's not easy, so you have to take training and all that stuff. I mean, besides having a great wife who's going to sit home or pay while you're out taking these courses and quit, <laughs> quit your job. I mean, Oh, but, I still have the day job, just to, just to be clear. Yeah, well, yeah, I was yeah. going to say. <laughs> no, but, but isn't that kind of scary in a way? Isn't that kind of a, mm. a jump? That it, it really is, although, you know, I went at it with – I like to say my, my expectations, my, my, my aims may be high, but my expectations tend, tend to be kind of low. Um, you know, I, uh, I got into writing because I always enjoyed writing and I thought, well, maybe someday I'll try to write a book. I'll try to write the books that I like reading, which are, which are typically mysteries, um, adventures, uh, thrillers, that sort of thing. You know, that was what I grew up reading. That's what my parents read. That's what I read. And uh, I always thought, well, maybe I'll try my hand at that someday. So when I started writing, it wasn't to say I'm – I wasn't with the goal right away of being a published author. The first goal was to figure out if I liked writing, and I did. So I thought, well, let me see if I can tell a story. Let me see if I can write a book. And once the book was written, I was like, well, maybe somebody wants to publish this, right? So it wasn't, there wasn't this um, five-year plan to become a published author. It was more about, can I take that next step? You know, is it in there? And because I, you know, I still have the day job, had the support of family, which helps immeasurably, as you mentioned, um, it was the sort of thing where it's, it, I had a kind of a releasement from attachment about the outcomes to put it in, in Zen Buddhist <laughs> terminology, right? You know, I, I wasn't thinking about the outcome. I was thinking about what I was doing. Um, and that both kind of relieved the stress of it. Um, but also made that next, that taking that next step possible because I wasn't aiming for this lofty goal. I was just aiming for the next thing. And I think I still am. I'm not aiming, you know, I don't think I'm aiming for, for necessarily a big career, although that would be great, I'm aiming for the next book. And the next book has continued to happen and things have continued to grow. But it's always about what am I doing today, right? What am I writing today and what am I working on? Hmm. So does that come across in your, let's say, your structure of writing? So when you sit down to do a book and I see that you've got, like the, the newest book, I believe, is Island of Thieves. Now, this yeah. novel is a Van Shaw mystery, book six. So you're writing a series here. Um, do, you, do you sit down and structure out this whole series? Do you know where your, your character's starting, your middle and end, and how it's going to end? And then you kind of fill in details, or do you outline, or, or do you just do it per day? It's it's um, I, I'm not a what they call a pantser, right? A plotter versus pantser, uh, pantser being the joking seat of the pants, writing by the seat of the pants, right? Every day, um, I do tend to plot, or at least I have major milestones that I know I'm going to hit in that particular book. Um, usually, it starts with, you know, where what do I want the character to undergo during this book, emotionally and otherwise. Um, and then the plot takes some shape and precedence out of that. I don't plot the whole series. Um, I don't know necessarily what Van will discover or what he'll undergo in the next book. Um, often I'll get the idea for a particular hook into the story or, or something that's now, oh, that would be an interesting situation to have him in. How does that, 
you know, how does that fall, fall out? Um, but I don't have a, I don't have a 10 book plan, 20 book plan for this. It's really about what's the natural evolution from what he just went through in the last book. And how do I, and the fun part thing about a serious character is you can't have them go through the life changing events in every book, right? Necessarily. If you're, if you're going to write a long series, you want readers to be able to pick up a book at any point in the series and have a good time and be introduced to these characters. So there's a certain amount of renewal that also has to come in every time you're, every time you're writing a new book in the series. Right. But then with your character, Van Shaw, that you were saying, um, like, why do you care? <laughs> why do I care what happens to him? Yeah, or like, why so, do I yeah. care? Why do I care enough to sit down and write another book? Well, kind of, it's kind of a, that's kind of both in this question because mm-hmm. in the fact of like, here you are and you, you've created a character called Van Shaw. Now, so this, this deals with your relationship with that character because, um, how you feel about Van Shaw is part of the reason why you probably decide to write another book or think about what the reaction of bands would be to certain situations. So that's on your mind. So what is, how do you describe a relationship with your, your main character and you? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's two aspects to that. Uh, I really like my main character, obviously, you know, and many of the books, uh, most of the books have been written from the first person perspective. Um, And so there's, Quite naturally, a fair amount of me in him, even though some of it, of course, is wish fulfillment. He's younger, stronger, tougher, <laughs> quicker, quicker with a witticism than I than I am. But um, but is but our attitudes are often the same about things. And yet, of course, he's in extreme circumstances, and he's kind of an extreme person as well. And seeing how he'll deal with those things is a fun way of thinking about. You know, how would I want the outcomes of these things to happen? It's a it's a way of pursuing justice. Um, the real world is very frustrating when it comes to justice. In fiction, we can have an outlet for that, right? We can see injustice in the world, and even though we're have, might be having trouble fighting that in the real world, we can fight it on the page, right? We can fight the good fight. Hopefully, have an outcome that is pleasing to us, or at least it's honest. And, you know, when you talk about what brings me back to the series, some of it is seeing injustice around the world or in my local community and thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be nice, right, if we could do something about that directly and make a good story out of it as well. Well, earlier you mentioned uh, theater. Um, so you've done some acting. Do, do you think that helped you in, in creating characters and the novels themselves, the story? It, it definitely helps. I think what helps most is uh, one of my degrees was in theater, and so there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, study of plays there and study mm-hmm. of dialogue. Um, and that is extremely useful when crafting dialogue that hopefully doesn't sound like recitation. Uh, like, or, or like characters batting obvious points back and forth, but really thinking about who are these, in, these, these characters as individuals? What do they each want out of this? And is every line that they're saying nudging them towards that, right? Uh, and towards what they want and what they're after. Um, and so some of it's the crafting of dialogue that you learn from reading a whole bunch of plays as you're growing up. 
Uh, some of it's just standing up and reading the words out loud, which is part of my writing process is I will print out the pages. I will read them out loud. And that's a great method for understanding whether or not number one, if the pace is, is right, because it feels slow as I'm reading it, it's probably slow as to the reader. Um, but also whether the dialogue, the voices sound different and whether, whether they, uh, whether it crackles a little bit. Oh, you don't do that when you're just walking down the road. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's a great way to keep people from asking me fair change. And, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really funny in this day and age, watch, walk, having people wander down the street muttering themselves, uh, now that we're all on earbuds and headsets, it's not that unusual, yeah. right? <laughs> hardly gets a, hardly gets a notice. Now, if you're describing a particularly violent scene, that might get the kind of attention you don't want. But yeah. yeah, you might end up in a jail where you don't want to right. be. Well, maybe <laughs> exactly. you do, right? I mean, it, it's With good a whole experience. bunch of people talking to themselves, right? Yeah, well, yeah. pair them up and they're all looking good. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because when you, you mentioned how you are in the character, and I guess a lot of writers are in their characters, especially the main character. A lot of them are in it. Um, so that in itself. So when someone takes, how do I say? Okay, so you go, you go um, online. You're in Amazon, and you grab a review, and someone's got this, you know, one or two star, and they pick out a particular element of that character, something that you, you know, kind of portrayed quite well, but it's something that they didn't like. And it's something that maybe is personal to you. It's something that, that you you wrote it because this is something you feel, you know about it, you can explain it well, and it's in your character. So when that happens, does that sort of – is that kind of a, a, a sore spot for you? Does that bother you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a um, – I'll, I'll lead off by saying I stay away from the reviews. Um my, uh, we talked about having supportive, uh, supportive family and my wife will vet the reviews for me. Um, uh, one lesson learned from theater is boy, those bad reviews stick with her. You never remember the good ones. You can get a, you can get a dozen good ones, but you get one bad one and that bad one sticks in your head. Right. Uh, yeah. So I tend to avoid <laughs> reading reviews that are not from like, say, Kirkus or, or, uh, or book reporter or, um, a library journal and so forth. Um, if they're not from one of the majors, but the, um, but yes, if, if obviously if they're, if somebody's pointing out an aspect of ban that they don't like, right. You know, they call him a social justice warrior or they, because he's from liberal Seattle. Yeah. Um, or they, um, uh, don't like the fact that they're swearing in the book, you know, you'll get that as well. Um, that, that's fine. But it's just an opinion and you just you have to let it go. It didn't resonate with that person. And you have to accept that there's a whole lot of people for whom it did resonate. And you just you move on. Right. If you're pleasing everyone, you're probably not writing something very interesting. <laughs> so, Jeez, I've been you know, there's always that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. I've got a lot of people I'm pleased. Um, Excellent. Excellent. You're, you're writing you're writing some truth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's usually what does it, right? Um, it's interesting. So, is there is there anything that you want people to get out of this book, and just like any of the other books you do, besides the story? Is there some sort of subtext, or is there some sort of a a meaning 
um, that at the end of the book, when they put it down, that you hope that they understood? Um, I don't generally write with meaning in mind. Sometimes there's a theme to the book, you know, or an overarching um, sentiment to the book. Um, but I usually don't know what that is until I've written the book. And then I'll read it. I'll read that first draft or the second draft. So I'll go, oh, okay, this is what I'm writing about. And then I'll go back in and look for ways to shore that up along the way. You know, with Island of Thieves, Van is hired. Van's from a very blue-collar background. He was, you know, uh, uh, he was in the Army uh, as a sergeant for many years in the Army Rangers. Um, you know, came from kind of hard scrabble life was raised you know, out, somewhat outside the law. And he has a very combative relationship to people with money, whether they deserve it or not. You know, he's very class conscious. Um, and I, one of the aspects of the, of, of the book that I try to underline as we're learning about these characters is, you know, do you, with money, without money, whatever, people come in all different types. You know, there are people who use their wealth and power very effectively for good reasons, for, for, for the good of all. There are people who use wealth and power solely for their own benefit or to shore up what they believe, um, whether that's, whether that's in the best interests of those around them or not. Right. So I wouldn't necessarily say that's a theme of the book that you know, everyone has to be judged as as individuals. But I uh, with with Island of Thieves, it gave Van a chance to bump up with people of a, you know, in the top one percent of the one percent and evaluate them as people rather than constructs. Well, I noticed on your website that, um, you know, you go out and you do a little bit of field research. How, how much mm -hmm. that uh, factors into um, uh, cr creating your characters? Uh, as much as I can. I mean, the, the last couple of years, it's been pretty limited, obviously, because of mm. travel and, and, and COVID has made location scouting pretty hard. Yeah. Um, uh, now, now that we can travel a little more, it's, it's, it's a little better. Um, but I do enjoy research a lot. I will tend to write the book first or at least get the, get the general idea of what it is I'm trying to achieve in a plot before I delve deep into the research. Um, yeah. Island of Thieves, for example, um, edges on a particular aspect of, uh, of chemical engineering and chemical innovation, um, which is a corporate innovation and secret um, that, has to, that has a central thing in the plot. And I wanted this to be a real thing. I wanted this to be something that could actually exist today that could be developed and subsequently stolen, <laughs> you know, if... <laughs> If, uh, if it were created. And so I started, uh, you know, and I had an idea for what I wanted it to be, but I didn't delve deep into the research until I had written out what the story was, until I'd written the story, because then I know how I needed that particular aspect, that particular innovation to work, right? Um, and then I started doing homework into it to see if the real world fit what I needed it to do. And I did have to adjust a couple of things, but for the most part, it allowed me to, to ask to go to experts, um, people who had been in test labs and, and who were chemical engineers or biomedical or bio engineers and ask very specific questions. 
right? Like, how do you test this? What does this look like, right? What machine does this? So, and what that does is it allows me to describe it for the reader without drowning them in detail, <laughs> right? It's just, just like, oh, this chemical allow this this chemical innovation allows this to happen, and this is worth a massive amount of money because of this. Great, that's all we need to know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to get too too bogged down in in complications, otherwise, yeah, it draws the person away from the story. I, I mean, I think uh, you know it's probably true. Um, now, when you look back at uh, past crimes in 2015. Did you ever go back and reread that book and kind of go, ah, I did this, eh? I did that. <laughs> and kind of go, because for me, um, I cringe at my first books uh, because I think I've become a better writer and I've learned from those first books. Each one that comes along, I feel like it's it's a little better put together. And so when I go back, sometimes I go, oh, geez, I wish I could redo this. Um, mm-hmm. Do you ever kind of get that urge, that feeling? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I've been I've been thinking about rereading some of the older books, not not just to look at the writing, but also because we've gotten to the point in the series where I I, I need to start creating character Bible, a character Bible right. uh, so I can remember the exactly what the characters you know he met were who what they drove you know all of that sort of thing where there's enough side characters now or one-off characters uh or even recurring characters that i need to remember aspects of them without having to go back and hunt for those when i need them so i've been thinking about rereading that but i haven't done a lot of it yet for a couple of reasons one is you know i might wince at the things i'd rather change (laughs) as you mentioned (laughs) Um, the, the other is the, is even worse, which is what if it's really, really good and I don't feel I'm writing at that level anymore. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but fortunately, I, I don't think that's a problem because I think I have improved with every book. I've certainly tried new tricks as they were. Uh, Island of Thieves, for example, is the first one that is in third person. Um, that's not solely from Van's point of view. Um, uh, many of the books have interstitial chapters which show Van at a younger age. Past Crimes delves deeply into that, but also Hard Cold Winter, Every Day Above Ground. Um, those those books also have interstitial chapters, and they might focus on just like one particular summer in young Van's life, or they might pop in at different points. And what those interstitial chapters do is they provide information for the current story that's going on, but they also reinforce some of the themes and emotional points that I'm trying to make you book as well. So with every book, um, you know, the new one being third person that allows me to break away from Van's point of view, so somebody else's, set up dangers that are coming at him that he doesn't know about, you know, uh, engendering suspense for the reader, you know, all of those things that you can do in a thriller that you might not do in a mystery. And so by challenging myself like this, it's nerve wracking. It's walking the tightrope, but I also think it's getting better and better as a, as a writer and, and more engaging. Yeah, it's certainly an, a, a different approach. Like it, it's harder to do it this way. Um, how do you decide what point of view you're going to give um, on that third person? Yes. Yeah, so, um, 
Uh, how do I decide which which character? Yeah, which character is going to give that? Yeah, range. usually it's usually it's the central one, the central character that's making a decision in that moment, right? Um, and sometimes that's the antagonist, where you want to know what the villain is thinking and why, and show how smart they are and how dangerous they are, um, and 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 what they're planning to do that will prove prove a danger for the good guys going forward. Um, sometimes it's just a side character and, uh, and those can be either just somebody on the outskirts who is just seeing the, the chaos happening, or it's, um, it's a bit of comic relief to a certain extent, right? Mm-hmm. Where you'll get just, you know, just one side character, uh, point of view. Um, without spoilers, there's, there's one character in Island of Thieves that is just a side character. He's a, uh, sort of a henchman type. He's a member of a team that is after our hero. Um, but he has a, he, he has a particular skill as a helicopter pilot. And so we have one very short chapter from his point of view as he's piloting the helicopter that is central to the big climactic scene. Um, and I think that's kind of fun for the viewer because, or the reader because as we're watching uh, watching the chapters roll on, you know, we've got into a rhythm of, okay, it's Van, it's the, it's the, it's the villain, it's this side character and so forth. And somebody, we've got somebody brand new with his own stresses who's trying to deal with a bad situation and is going, is going from bad to worse very quickly. And I think that can be very exciting. So it's really a- Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's you want to focus on the characters for whom something dramatic is happening. 
but also who are making key decisions about what's going to drive the story forward. So Dr. Evil. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have a little one from the, from the point of view of Minibee. Wouldn't it be fun to hear the thoughts in Frau Farbissima's head as she's in one of Dr. Evil's meetings? Yeah. yeah. That would be great. Yeah. A lot of a, the, the a lot of vagina. <laughs> yes, exactly. There we go. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm in trouble. Anyway. Um, wow. So is, do you ever see yourself getting away from this type of writing? Like the, the, the thriller sort of uh, mystery? I'm not sure. I, I really, you know, the books that I love, I still love to read. And the ones that I grew up reading are usually the ones where people are undergoing harrowing circumstances. You know, they're generally generally fiction, uh, sometimes real life survival or things like that. But but often it's it's uh, it's characters that are, you know, having dramatic and sometimes terrible things happen to them. Um, so I really love thrillers right now. I'm working on, uh, I'm deep into writing my first, uh, standalone, uh, thriller again, third person, multiple viewpoint, but it's, it's the same, uh, it's the same sort of idea. It's the, it's the idea of only in this case, it's ordinary people in terrible circumstances for the most part, whereas you wouldn't call that an ordinary, an ordinary cat by any means. Um, but I like the idea of, boy, what's the, you know, what's the toughest days in people's lives and how will they come through? That's always a fascinating question. Breaking a nail. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're a member of the ultra wealthy, you know, maybe breaking a nail, maybe breaking a nail is it. Although I kind of like the idea of, you know, the, um, the idea that that breaking a nail is at the exact wrong point, right? What is? What if it's the straw? What if it's the the, the nail that broke the camel's back? In in sense, right? Last thing they can handle at that moment. Well, all things being equal, do you prefer to write a standalone novel, or do you uh, prefer to write a series? Uh, series has some advantages, hmm. which is that once it's a, once your world is established, especially since it's in the contemporary. world, you can simply revisit that, right? And, and after with half a dozen van books um, to date, I've gotten very skilled at reintroducing characters and Van himself for newer readers without having to necess- without having to, to spend a lot of time, right? You know, and and we can jump right into the story, and that's great. With uh, the standalone, of course, I've got to introduce these characters for the very first time, which is a little different, um, and make sure that their their viewpoints are are distinct and different as well. The advantage of the standalone for me, and and I think for readers as well, is with a series character, you know the series character is going to survive, right? Might be tough, but you know that intellectually going in. You don't necessarily know that with a standalone. So a standalone can be a lot scarier for the reader, and I think that's a good thing. Publishing world, how do you like it now, and what what do you think of it with, um, you know, Amazon and everything else going on, and and everybody and their dog can do a book now? Um, (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I sort of, I'm very honest about that, because I think, personally, I want it to go through publishers to begin with, and I did. 
And uh, I found it to be very important, even though it wasn't always a great experience, but I think it's important. And uh, But people nowadays will just write something and publish it. So yep. how, how do you feel about this uh, changing world? Um, the, in general, I would say more, you know, more ways to get to readers and for readers to have books available to them, the better, right? That's the overall, overall need in, you know, and that, that's setting aside, of course, uh, you know, Amazon as the monolithic entity it is, you know, it's, it's, it's both enabled people to get hold of books and see books that they might not otherwise see, but then the, you know, the, the profits to the author have gone way, way down because the prices are cut all the way along the board, making it tough for publishers as well. Um, at the same time, uh, self-publishing has allowed the traditional gatekeepers um, to not be the only ones who uh, have, a, have a road to getting works out there, right? I will say for me, I wanted to be traditionally published and pursued that route and always had that in mind. It was in the back of my head of that, well, if nobody wants this uh, or if I can't sell it within a reasonable amount of time, maybe I'll publish it myself. And so that was always an option I was open to. Um, and for a lot of people, self-publishing is is just the way to go. That's just the way, you know, they're they're producing a lot of work or it's not something that would that a traditional publisher would be interested in. And it's a way for them to get that out there. Um Personally, I'm very glad that I'm traditionally published because what it main, the main advantage of it, besides besides the obvious of, of visibility and everything else, it gives me access to real experts. Right? I've got my agent's input. I've got my editor's input. Sometimes that's plural if it's published in more than one place. You know, I've got input from copy editors. These are all very, very knowledgeable people that are giving me notes and thoughts about what works and what doesn't in the narrative, right? That to me is the biggest advantage in traditional publishing is that now you're, now you're part of a team and that team is focused on making your book, hopefully as best as the best it can be in the time you have, you have available, right? And so that to me has been invaluable. You know, my books have, have benefited tremendously from the input of my agent and my editor. Um, and so that's that's why going forward, let's say things change in 10 years and uh, the doors to traditional publishing close for whatever reason. Um, if I were to pursue self-publishing and I had to, and I had to go that route, had no other choice. I would still try be trying to set up that same structure somehow of having a team of, of very knowledgeable readers working together to try to craft their their individual books. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I, that's the most important part of the process is is the uh, people that are editing and and being your um, input people, your readers, your supporters. In that sense, I because I, I myself I've always been very insecure, even though I had things published in that but even now when i do self-publishing i have most of the same people doing the same jobs mm -hmm. just whether i pay them or a publisher does right and, right yeah it, it's it's a uh, um 
it, it's hard to overstate how invaluable it is to have other eyeballs and educated eyeballs on your work, right? Um, it just, just a tremendous benefit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, and when you doing, you're doing a series, like when you're doing that, that must be, uh, I would think that's complicated in the sense of, uh, remembering what someone did in book two and you're writing book <laughs> six. And then, because you can't, you can't error just even a slight bit because, you know, that reader will catch it and then they'll say, Oh, you know, he had, a green truck in book two and now it's blue right you know right. And, and they'll call you out and they'll call you out all over the place you'll be on twitter yep they'll be tiktoking yep. you you know and i will say and i will say congratulations you won the prize you found the hidden hidden gotcha yeah that's right um yeah then you, tra- <laughs> then you track well, them good, down and have them yeah shocked. good job no no not at all not at all what you, but what that means is they care yeah. right they yeah. you know they they give a damn about what's going on and that's wonderful um, uh, you know, if, if someone's reading my books so closely that they notice things like that. And I, for example, in the, in the, uh, the, the fourth book, I made a very basic mistake about, um, about Ireland. Um, and I visited Ireland a few times and, and Van's grandfather is, is from Belfast originally in it. And I had a mention of the police and I, without thinking, I called the police the Garda. But of course, the Garda are not the police in Northern Ireland, they're, they're the police in, in, in the Republic. Right. Um, so, uh, and, and of course readers called me out on that and I went, yep, you are absolutely right. I got that. Wrong. And that's great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thank you for reading so closely that yeah. you caught that. And then we could fix it in, in, in later editions. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but it is that sort of thing where I look at it as a, as a compliment if somebody's reading that close and, you know, hey, mistakes happen. If you're writing a hundred thousand word book and you're writing it on deadline, every once in a while there's going to be a mistake that you just don't catch, and the copy editors don't catch you. Right? Yeah, it's like the water bottle in Game of Thrones. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes, the Starbucks cup or yeah, whatever Starbucks. it was. Yeah, exactly. You know. It's yeah. Like, uh, well, they had Starbucks back then. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Drag and drive through. You know. Right. Um, if someone if someone has never heard of you, which I just I don't understand how that could be, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, um, and you were you were given an opportunity to give one book to one person, and they were to say, which book would you give them of all of your books right now? Which which would be the one you'd want them to read to oh. uh, to kind of get the flavor of who Glenn Eric Hamilton is? Uh, yeah, it, it's. That's always a tough question, right? Is do I start them at the start of the series or do I start them at the latest of the series, which I, I hope will always be the, the, the best written, right? The most interesting along the way. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to caveat this a little bit. For the first person band, I might argue that the fourth book in the series, Mercy River, is a, is a really good one because it not only deals with, um, with Van himself, but in that he's attending a large and raucous, uh, reunion of former and current army rangers that essentially takes over a small Oregon town one weekend. Um, and you get a, you get a sense of not only who he is as a person, but who he had to be as a soldier and his struggles with becoming a civilian afterwards, uh, unexpectedly. Um, so Mercy River as one that's dear to my heart. I'm also, it's also dear to my heart because my daughter and I got to take a, a trip and location scout in Central Oregon 
in the high plains there, uh, which was a, a wonderful time. Uh, looking over all the, the the ghost towns and and uh, and um, abandoned barns and other things in that, in that region. Um, so Mercy River is a really good one for first man. The latest one, Island of Thieves, I'm really proud of. Not only because it's the first, it's in third person, uh, and that gives you other characters' views on Vale. Right, you're seeing him through other characters' eyes. And they're assessing him in ways that the reader might not have considered him before. And I think that's kind of fascinating for learning the character as well. Hmm. I, who would, I guess, how do, how do I say this? Who, who is Van, <laughs> sorry, I was going to say Van, <laughs> Van Diesel. Who is, <laughs> who is Van Diesel? Yeah, who well, is, no, who is Van Shaw? Like, who would that, how would you describe that character? Van is a guy who's, I often describe him as he's an expert at survival and a rookie at living. Um, he was raised by his grandfather, who was a career criminal, a burglar and a, a thief and armed robber in his young wilder days. Um, so he was raised with a very skewed moral compass. Um, but there was always a part of him that didn't feel right with that life. And he and his grandfather had a falling out uh, when Van was just newly out of high school. And Van escaped into the military and, to his surprise, found that he flourished in that environment. That he was, because he was disciplined and focused and very expert at being a young thief um, and the lessons that his grandfather had instilled, the discipline that his grandfather had um, he took to it like a duck to water and wound up in the Army Rangers, direct action, light infantry, um, and found a home there. Um, and eventually advanced to uh, Sergeant First Class and was active in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and really was the, 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 the light to the dark in terms of his upbringing, right? Where you're suddenly in an environment that uh, requires you know, strict adherence to a code and support of those around you. You're not just out for yourself, you're protecting those around you um, as well. And that, But there was parts of the old van still in him, and he has to, in the, in the first book, no, no real spoilers here, he has to uh, um, deal with unfinished business back home. Um, and that puts him into conflict, not only with the people back home, but also with the army itself. And now he's a guy stuck between two, the two parts of his personality. He is extremely effective as an individual. Um, he's an expert thief. He's an expert soldier. Um, tactically, he knows exactly what he's doing. But in leading a strategic life, he never expected necessarily to be out of the army or to have lived as long as he's lived. Um, he had that sort of samurai mindset of like, this mission might be the last one, right? And he had accepted that in his head. And so to find himself a civilian on the streets again is, is a very different thing. Also, his particular skills are not very social, socially accepted skills, right? You know, safe, safe cracking and boosting cars and, uh, disabling security systems is not the sort of thing that uh, can get you a legit job in a lot of different ways, but he's not willing to steal from people anymore either. 
So, you know, he is a, he is a, a man caught between and making his way as best he can. And he's also prone to trouble. He is attracted to it in a lot of ways. He likes the action. He likes the thrill. And he knows that very well. He knows he's at his best when he's under pressure. Um, and there's a part of him that's seeking that out. Wow. So, so you got all this from your life, of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly, I'm fighting off ninjas as we speak. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, there's a lot of, obviously Van and my backgrounds are, couldn't, it couldn't be farther apart, but our attitudes about things are, are very similar. And I will steal aspects of my own background for Van, you know, uh, aspects of being in high school, of, being an athlete of enjoying, you know, boxing gyms and things like that, which man also enjoys, uh, you know, working out there. Um, just, you know, I'll steal little snippets, but obviously, um, some of Van's mindset also comes from my interviewing, uh, veterans, current and past, uh, of our, of our recent wars and checking certain aspects of Van's thinking, not just the tactical thinking in the situation, but also his attitudes against what is sensible for um for a, a a modern young a modern soldier or a recent former soldier of 29 30 years old right am i thinking with that right mindset um and so some of that i give credit to them as well hmm. so you go out and boost cars yeah yeah well that that i would do anyway even if i wasn't writing about it i mean come on, well, just come on. What, what what point would there hey, actually I, I have to say researching ways to do things like that is a big part of the fun of the job to a certain <laughs> it's like yeah there are there are a few things I, I wouldn't say i have the skill to boost a modern car with its security systems or anything like that um but there are certain things it's just like you know, that could come in handy you know <laughs> yeah that's it you know um, I, but I wonder, because when you talk attitudes, you know, you're talking about his military and uh, background and things. In today's world, do you have to be careful on how you phrase things? And and I mean that more of a, a political way, um, it, because there's so much uh, BS all over the place right now, you know. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And it really, it really kind of defines people nowadays when it shouldn't you know all of a sudden you, you say or do the wrong thing in your book and it's like oh he's just another libtard or he's just this or that or he might, right or you right know, or if your guy's too too redneck let's say or something but, but do you have to be careful on how they interact and what words you use descriptions well sometimes you know it, it's funny when when i've talked with soldiers uh, and Marines and others who are current, you know, they'll, they'll certainly have personal political views about things. But ultimately, when it comes to, to war, it's about supporting the men and women who are with, them, right? It's about looking out for the one standing shoulder to shoulder to you, watching somebody else's sense. It's, it's, you know, it's about looking after your brothers and sisters in arms and trying to make a difference, if you can, for the people whom you are protecting both military and military. You know, so I always start from that. Um, as I said, there, you know, there's people that will assume that because Van is from Seattle, because he, he has worked part-time as a bouncer in a bar that um, 
uh, that's open to, that's a very inclusive bar in terms of the LGBTQ and the queer community. And he's in Capitol Hill, which is the heart of that in Seattle, that people will assume that, we'll, we'll call him a social justice warrior or so forth, right? And assume that he's extremely liberal. But, he, but you know, he was also a professional soldier for 10 years. Um, and so he can sometimes be very hawkish about things like violence when he feels that is necessary. Um, and those aren't, I, you know, I think those are things that are true to the character. They're not necessarily political in, in, in his bent. Um, Van has, <laughs> and I have too, um, a, a fair distrust of people in power, regardless of what their political viewpoints are, right? The fact that they've sought out power tends to make, you know, it tend, tends to have him question their motives. Right about whether or not they're really standing up for the little guy or whether they're out for themselves. Um, and I think he, I think that that if anything, that sort of cynicism or pragmatism about um, politics comes into play for for him as much as me. Right, you're always wondering. Okay, prove prove that you're prove that you're not um, uh, you're not just you're not just out for yourself, and then we'll. And then we'll start considering whether or not you should you should be uh, we should get your vote. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's always tough, you know. Um, but, you know, hey, here we are um, yeah. now. It, it, so you like interacting with your readers or somewhat or. It, oh, yeah, very much. Very much. I'll get a, I'll get a few emails each week from fans and readers and. Uh, some folks reach out on Twitter or Facebook or whatnot, but yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy interacting with readers quite a bit. Um, I especially enjoy going to, um, hopefully those are becoming a thing again, mystery conventions. Um, I'll go to left coast crime here, uh, as, as the name describes, that's here on the west, uh, western states primarily, west, west of the, west of the Mississippi and west of the Rockies, uh, depending upon how they define it that particular year. But, you know, so left coast crime, uh, is a common one for me to be at. I'm a, I'm a thriller fest baby. Thriller fest is a convention for thriller writers. It's in New York. It's where I found my agent back in 2013. Um, and so, you know, I'm a big fan of thriller fest and try to get to New York, uh, whenever we can. Hopefully that will be in person again this year. Um, and BoucherCon, which is the biggest mystery convention in the U.S. and perhaps the world. Um, that's uh that's an annual gathering which uh this year will be in Minneapolis, I think I'm remembering correctly. Um and so I try to get to mystery conventions uh not only because they're a lot of fun personally, but and, uh, but also because it's it's a chance where you get to talk to a lot of fans and a lot of or a lot of potential new readers and talk just about the stuff we all love. We talk about writing, we talk about other authors we love all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, those are the best times that those it's been really tough the last two years with COVID and having so many of these conventions be either canceled outright or virtual only, you know, where you, you might, you might listen to a panel, but it's a lot like going to a meeting, right? If you, you're not interacting quite as much as you would. Um, so the, now that we're coming out of this, we hope uh, once Omicron, <laughs> once we get past Omicron, and we can get to these conventions again. I'm really looking forward to that interaction because that's a recharging of the battery so many of us have not had in so long that I can't. I think we're all just craving it. 
Well, yeah, good luck. Hopefully it does. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not holding my breath, right? <laughs> not being negative, but gee, you know. Uh, um, so um, what's your website so people can come find you? Yeah, it is uh, my name, Glenn Eric Hamilton. Uh, Glenn with one N, Eric with a K, dot com. Um, that's an, uh, usually an easy way to tell what's going on. I'll try to keep posts about events and upcoming things there uh, when there are events. Um, and, uh, and the, you know, whether there's a book launch or something like that going on. Um, Twitter is also easy, an easy way to get a hold of me at Glenn Eric H. Um, and, uh, and I have a Facebook page as well. So, you know, if, uh, folks are readers of my works or others and want to talk mysteries, reach on out. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll have that up on our website and, uh, people can find you that way if they don't remember. I don't know how they wouldn't have it anyway already saved, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just in case. So really appreciate it. Who's your, who's your favorite writer? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. My favorite writer. Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to go back a little ways. Um, I mean, part of the genesis of Van was the, the books of John D. McDonald and the Travis McGee series. And McGee is, McDonald D. McDonald wrote 21 books in the series. McGee is uh, what he calls a salvage consultant, which is recovering things for people. Um, and sometimes that could be money or uh, jewel or lost reputation, things like that. Um, McGee, you know, works on the outskirts of the law. He's a good guy, but he's not, He's not an untarnished guy. Um, and uh, there's a lot of the genesis of Van in the books of John D. McDonald, certainly. You know, when I'm looking uh, more modern thrillers, you know, I like, I like the works of, of, uh, of Lee Child and Michael Connolly and, and uh, 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 Karen Slaughter. Um, uh, uh, Nick Petrie is another one who writes along kind of along the same lines I do. Uh, of a, a veteran making his way, you know. There's so many really good authors nowadays, both both bestsellers and not. That is just sort of a golden time for people to enjoy this sort of thriller, thriller fiction. Don't forget me. <laughs> Absolutely. How can I forget out? <laughs> well, well, on the same vein, I'm just wondering if uh, you have any influences that might be surprising to your fans. Oh, well, it's funny. I, um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to name one in particular, Jane Austen. Hmm. Um, and it's funny to say that because I'm, I'm not only a, I'm a fan of her writing and I, and I also enjoy films and stuff made out of her stuff. But one of the things that's always interesting about Austen is her use of dialogue and language for people implying things that they can't say outright. Hmm. Um, and that's a, it's a lovely aspect of, of, of her writing. You know, so when I'm, when I'm going back, when I'm reading the classics, uh, there's a part of me that always enjoys, you know, watching how she gets characters to, to, uh, imply things that they wouldn't necessarily state in their circumstances. Interesting. Well, there you have it. Yeah. And me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been, it's been an interesting conversation and we thank you for being here. Absolutely. Lovely to talk to you guys. Our guest, Glenn Eric Hamilton. And uh, thank you for, for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Glenn. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. 
find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.